Ink and Paint wishes to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded and edited. It is a great privilege to be able to tell stories on this land, which has a tradition of storytelling stretching back over 10,000 years. We also wish to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands from all over the world where our guests record from. We pay our respects to all elders past, present and emerging, and to our First Nations listeners. Hi everyone, this is Daniel, the host of Ink and Paint. Just wanted to give a little message before this special bonus Patreon episode we're uploading uh, just in time for Christmas and the Disney Plus release of Strange World. We recorded this episode as part of our special Patreon bonus episodes uh, about a month ago, but we thought it might be nice to release it here on the main feed. A, because we haven't heard from us for a little while, if you've just been following the podcast through the main feed, but also because this is a film, Strange World, that we're not actually going to cover on the main podcast later down the track once we get to uh, that point in the timeline. We decided very early on that when we were mapping out this uh, scope of ink and paint, that we would finish with Disney's 60th animated feature film. It was important for us to have the sense of an ending to be able to kind of stop and look back over the films that we covered and give a sense of what Disney was from at the beginning with Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and where it had reached to um, at a particular point in time. And as we explain in this bonus episode, it's also difficult to assess the cultural impact of a film when it's only a few years old. So that means that there won't be an episode, an interview with a special guest and the background history on Strange World in the future, because it's not one of the films that we're planning to cover. It's the first film after Encanto. But we wanted to release this episode for that reason, but also because we both really loved this film. Both Alex and I really enjoyed Strange World a lot more than we were expecting. And I think it's one of the best films that Disney's produced in many years. So we wanted to also put this up here for when the film would be released on Disney Plus, because the film unfortunately did not do well at the box office. Um, it wasn't particularly well received by audiences in terms of attendance. And so we thought this might also be a nice way to give it a bit of a push if you haven't seen Strange World and are interested in seeing it to kind of encourage you to go and give it a look. Now it's on Disney Plus, so you can just sit at home and watch it with your family. And it's really special. It's a really lovely film. And I am a bit sad that I don't get to do a nice, big, splashy episode on it later down the track, but um, this will have to do in the meantime. Also thought this might be a good opportunity to give you an update on how we are going with the next season of Ink and Paint. It's been a while since we finished releasing the Bronze Days episodes. We've been getting lots of wonderful messages from listeners saying how excited they are for when we cover the Disney Renaissance and, you know, asking how it's going. And everyone's been so polite and encouraging, um, which I'm very grateful for. It's lovely to know that we still have everyone's support. Um, This one is taking a little bit longer than we thought for a number of reasons. I moved into state about eight months ago. Um, I moved from Melbourne to Queensland. I started doing a master's in creative writing. So it's been a lot of life changes for me. Alex has also had a lot of life changes with new jobs and other new exciting creative projects. But actually, the biggest reason why it's taking so long is these films are gigantic. A lot of them have taken a lot, the most amount of research we've had to do on any films. Beauty and the Beast, the two episodes, because we're having to cover that in two episodes, those episodes took three months just to write. So it's taking a little bit longer because these films are such gigantic cultural monoliths, as opposed to the films of the Bronze Age, where it was a lot of having to kind of dig for information. These ones I've really had to kind of sift through mountains of information. So 
the episodes on Little Mermaid and The Rescuers Down Under and the two episodes on Beauty and the Beast are written. Um, I'm in the middle of writing the episode on Aladdin at the moment. It is slow going, but hopefully from here onwards, we'll be able to move a bit quicker because Beauty and the Beast was a really big job to do. But those episodes so far, I'm very happy with the, with the writing for the research on those. So I'm really excited about those. We're also in the process of lining up the guests. We have some really, really cool guests for the next season. They'll be able to give you a really rich, rich discussion on these films. So we'll be starting to record those interviews in the new year, because obviously the latter half of the year has been very busy for a lot of people. So we don't have an idea yet of when the next season will turn up, but it is coming and we're definitely still working on it. And it will be our biggest season ever. The most films that we'll cover in a single season will be going um, from Little Mermaid in 1989 to Tarzan in 1999. So there's 10 films in there with 11 episodes because Beauty and the Beast will be covered as over two episodes. We're also planning on the in-betweeners, hopefully covering things like Disney theatrical and being able to talk to, um, I'm hoping to be able to maybe do an episode on Disney's, Disney Animation's relationship with the Oscars and lots of other ideas about what we can do um, as we go along with those episodes. And our plan usually is to make sure that they're all, um, we're all ready to go is to have all of that recorded before we start releasing episodes. So it's, we're able to give each episode the time and the space to really craft them and to give Alex plenty of time and space um, to make them the best it can be because of how terrific an editor he is. Um, and also for Lily with her artwork and all of the many people that are working on Ink and Paint in the background. So I just wanted to give you an update on that as well to say the podcast is coming. It's just taking a bit of time to get there, but trust me, when it's done, hopefully it'll be one of, if not our best season yet, talking about some of the most important films we will ever talk about in this podcast, films that mean so much to all of us working on this, on this project, and I know means so much to all of you from the wonderful messages we're getting of excitement about hearing us talk about Hercules and Mulan and The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. Like and Little Mermaid, just some of the really the the best films in the Disney canon and in the history of animation. So in the meantime, enjoy your Christmas gift of this release of our Patreon episode on Strange World, encouraging you to go and watch this film with your family over the holiday season. Patreon listeners will already have heard this episode, but you have at the same time your own Patreon episode this month for our special bonus episode for Patreon listeners. We're covering the Muppet Christmas Carol. So if you're interested in listening to that episode, jump on to our Patreon. I think it's patreon.com slash inkpaintpod, and you'll be able to access that episode and also the many episodes we've already done over the past year. We've covered some really cool topics that our listeners, our Patreon subscribers have voted for. They've gotten us talking about The Nightmare Before Christmas, about Ralph Bashke's The Lord of the Rings, about the Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah film Splash, about Disney Golden Books, about The Secret of Nim about Richard Williams as the Thief and the Cobbler. We've covered some really cool topics, um, and they're all still sitting there for, for you to listen to if you want to subscribe um, to our Patreon. But, of course, the greatest support you can give us, particularly for when we return with the next season of Ink and Paint, is just to listen along and uh, give us, you know, great feedback and great rate and you know, great ratings and, re- and reviews on, on the various pop- podcasting platforms and just telling us all your... The, your feelings and excitements and responses and ideas and all your things around Disney and the Disney animated classics, which is obviously what we're here to celebrate and dissect and to explore with this podcast. Without further ado, here is our episode, our Patreon episode on Strange World. Hope you enjoy. Tremendous holiday season to all of you and an incredibly exciting happy new year and hope that 2023 holds 
all wonderful things for all of you, especially a brand new season of Ink and Paint. Thanks, everyone. Are you still there? Yeah. Oh, good. Because it was just thinking it was very, it was like perfectly quiet. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done? No, I'm here. <laughs> Great. Hi, Alex. Hello. How is it all going? How's things down in Melbourne? What temperature is it down there at the moment? Uh, it was a bit gross today. It was warm and then it, then it started raining and now it's not raining. So, you know, uh-huh. Melbourne. It's just doing Melbourne stuff. But, you know, they need to they need to do something about this La Nina. You know, we need to get rid of the La Nina. I'm over it. Yeah, it's too get- wet and, you know, just someone needs to summary. talk to someone. But that's the thing is, like, you don't have... You haven't had... A summer and up in Brisbane, it's like we are already at the 30, like over 30 degree days. We had a gigantic thunderstorm this afternoon. It was very exciting. Um, But it really does feel like with the weather and the pollen and the debilitating state election, which was obviously very great. The results were great. But like, sounds like the universe is trying to wipe Melbourne off the map at this point. Yes, yes, yes. Well, uh, I think that it's, Melbourne's having shorter summers, or they're definitely starting later, and experts may relate that to climate change, which I'm not sure about you, but uh, might be on topic for the film today that we watched. Possibly. Surprise, the twist of the movie. (laughs) Guess what? It's about climate change. Um, So, yes, which brings us quite nicely to a segue to this week, this month's topic. So, we decided to go rogue and refuse to give you all the option of choosing what it is we were going to talk about. But that's because uh, Disney released the newest animated, their newest animated feature this uh, past week, their 61st animated feature. Um, And we're talking about it on here. If it was part of the main podcast, we wouldn't talk about it on the Patreon because we didn't talk about Encanto. Um, which I think has fallen within the timeline of when we started doing this. But this is a film we're not going to cover on Ink and Paint in the main the main body of the podcast because we're going to finish with Encanto a nice round 60. And 60. the reasons... 60. Well, 62 really with the two added bonuses, but we'll, 60 sounds much oh, yeah, nicer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the reason for that is actually going to become very clear talking about this film in this in uh, for this special Patreon bonus episode. Speaking oh. of, Alex, do we have any new Patreon subscribers this not, month? Not since the last recording, but I did want to update everyone uh, about The Prince, which oh, I've yeah. got them all and I've put them all in uh, little postage packs and I will be sending them um, at some point next week when I have the time to go to the post office and all that jazz. Uh, so they'll get to you at some point in the near future. I'll post about it as well on the page. Um, it's all a little bit of a test. So, you know, if, if any of them arrive uh, bent or anything, we'll, we'll know uh, how to do it better in the future. I think, that, <laughs> I think, I think they're going to all survive, but they are obviously quite delicate. So... Um, I'm a little bit like, I've never done this before. So I think I've done a good job, but uh, apologies in advance if anyone's stuff's up. There'll be more of this in the future because another thing is that um, when I was printing them, my, uh, my computer screen didn't really show me well enough. There's some You can see the background in some of them because they weren't cut out as uh, closely as I thought. Um, and I'm not going to reprint them. But again, it's all testing and uh, all to do a better job next time. So this is kind of the beta 
and then I think I'll do it again at some point next year. So uh, if you're not happy with yours now, there'll be another one eventually. And we've still got like over thirty <laughs> films left to go. Over, That's and, like, true. Which That's means true. probably considering there'll be double episodes. Um, I don't know how many more films because obviously we'll do Beauty and the Beast as a double episode. I don't know how many other films we'll have this the need to do a double episode for in the next few seasons. The last the 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 latter half of the podcast. But at the very least, you'll get it. There's at least thirty more artworks that Lily has to do. Um, yes, I'm sure she's probably you know rubbing her, thumb, her palms together in excitement <laughs> the fact that she gets to do like she gets to you know, cover the films of the 90s which will be absolute absolutely wonderful films to do artwork for and and that's a great point i'll we'll probably wait until probably later next year when we've done the renaissance and perhaps even a bit further than that to do another run of these so there'll be more to choose from so you can yep. add it to your wall or replace it with the new one and i'll make sure the second run is Pristine. Yes. Uh, this was a bit of a beta. So, yeah, but they still look really good. Like, they're awesome. Don't worry. They're, they're fucking cool. Um, but, yeah, there'll be even some more finishing touches on them. They'll, be, they'll look fabulous hanging on all of our walls. I've already yes. started thinking of where they're going to go because for the ones I'm getting. Um, and an update on how the podcast is going. I'm currently in the middle of researching Aladdin, which is a much easier film to research than Beauty and the Beast. And is a real, like, it's a real pleasure to be researching because it's just such, there's not a lot of dramas happening in the making of this particular film. It's all just really wonderful circumstances converging to make a really wonderful film. Oh, um, fantastic. Uh, but I'm actually also going, ne- uh, a month from today, it's a Sunday, next week, um, not a month. Next week, I'm going to New Zealand for a week. So I oh, really? To, yes. Yes, I'm oh. going to present at a conference. So I'll try and get as much research Is that work a done. PhD thing? Master's thing. Yes, uh, it is. Master's thing? Yes. Fantastic. So I'm going to present at a conference. Thank you. I'm going to present at a conference in Auckland. And then on the last day in Auckland, I'm going to go to Hobbiton. Um, oh, of course. Of course. Where I oh, will we'll ca- take some photos for the Patreon oh. and make sure someone records your conference uh, oh, I'm sure. Speech. I'm sure they will. Um, but I'll also, yeah, there'll be lots of photos of me. I've told everyone else who's coming along with us to the conference that when we go to Hobbiton, they should expect that I'll be crying the whole time. Because <laughs> it's not every day you get to walk into your favourite book and your favourite film. You're not going to fit through any of the doors. N- well, no, because they're made, they're, the, the size they're made for is for the actors of our size. Cause <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, and you can't, apparently there's only one you can walk into and it's just like, you just walk into it and there's just a wall. So it's not mm, like, yeah, they're not like yeah. fully, fully furnished Hobbit holes. You're just going to be walking around Hobbiton and I'm perfectly happy to do that. I'll lose my mind. I will be very emotional. Anyway, so we've come here to talk about Strange World. Um, Alex, just out of interest, what did you know about this film before you saw it because you saw it today, didn't you? I saw it today. I didn't know anything about it until you mentioned it last episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know whether I should be keeping up with Disney News more closely oh, or not. No. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I didn't know about it. Speaking of Disney News, there was obviously the big, the big Disney News in the past. Oh week yeah, fuck! Bob I was going to bring that back. up. Yeah. Oh, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. But um, actually, let's wait. Maybe let's wait and see what he does. Maybe I we'll think talk it's about worth, that. It's, yeah. Actually, I think there will there is a reason to talk about this um, in relation to this film a bit later. Okay. Um, okay. The reason I ask what you knew about the film beforehand is kind of to the point where one of the things I keep seeing online with people talking about Strange World is the surprise that it exists at all. Um, because Disney, for reasons that 
I mean, one thing I should probably warn everybody, we're going to talk about the film pretty thoroughly. So if you haven't yes. had a chance to see it, and it has only been out for a few days, I really recommend waiting a bit before, listen, like, wait until you've seen it before you talk to us, but or listen to us talk about it. And the same because I wrote a review for it for Switch. Um, so wait until you see it for that reasons. But it's, it's a film that Disney basically has not marketed at all for reasons right. that will probably become obvious as we talk about it. Um which is kind of a way of saying, like, realistically, regardless of what our opinions, because I don't know what you think of the film, because um, uh, we've been waiting for this for you to find out. But um, yeah, go, it, the, it's a film that people should see because it's a film that is worth seeing, regardless of what we both think of it, um, particularly in the context of Disney animation history, which obviously is what everyone is here to listen to us talk about. Um, so yes, if you haven't seen Strange World, please stop listening now and come back to us <laughs> yeah. when you've watched it. At the brisk 107 minutes that it is. Um, is it, uh, do you know when it will be on Disney Plus? The rumour is it's going to be on Disney Plus by the end of the month. Okay, cool. Which cool. is pretty dire, to be honest. Um, oh. Yeah, because it's just not, it. at the moment, I think I saw an article this morning which says it has had the worst opening of any Disney animated film, maybe ever. Um, I'm starting to feel very sad. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, I can imagine so. Um, which I guess, I w- well, I now want to know why you're feeling sad, because I guess um, I want to know what you thought of it. Um, yeah, Alex, what did you think of it? What did you think of Strange World, the 61st Disney animated feature film? Uh, firstly, how about that 100 years of Disney uh, opening? Uh, oh. is that, has that been on another fil- other films or is that, is that no. new? no. I, no, it's brand new because the 100th oh. anniversary is next year. That's what I thought. It was next year, yeah. They must starting be, like, to get into getting it. people ready for it. And I was just like, oh, God, as if this fucking logo didn't have to be <laughs> fucking longer. More obnoxious, more fucking, ugh. I had to just, come through the, the back of the castle this time, you yeah, know? Yeah, I, I, I do. Because I, 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 I will probably end up trying to see this. I'll try, I'll try and see it again. And I think I want to sit there and be like, what are you doing? What is the castle? What are you transforming into? Why are you taking... Like, it is... It is. It's a little much. It's a. It's a little much. I thought. Also, it's actually the other strange thing was there wasn't a short in front of it because usually there's a short in front of most Disney um, and yes. Pixar animated films, but there was no short in front of it, um, which is a bit disappointing because I quite like the shorts. We like the shorts, but um, yes, I. I well, I just want to say I feel like I often uh, enjoy things and then talk to Daniel and and end up not enjoying them as much. But I have a feeling that Daniel also really enjoyed this movie, and I very much enjoyed this movie. Great, great. We are, we're on the same page. It fucking rules. It rules. I love it. Was it. I just love it. Good. It was it's, great. I think it's the best thing they've done since Moana. Like, yeah, I was just... actually. Well, I mean, I, look, I haven't seen Encanto. I haven't seen much, but I fucking love Moana, and I fucking loved this. Yeah. Um, when we saw Raya and the Last Dragon, like, I was kind of like, eh, okay, you know? But, nah, this, like, pretty pretty quickly, like, kind of hooked me, and then, I, and then it just kind of kept getting better, actually. It has know? a really great... Re- like, it has a really robust, energetic opening. Like, the opening mm. sequence where you find out, you know, you're introduced to the clades and you find out about Jaeger clade and you find out about Searcher clade and you find out, like, the, the, it reminded me a lot of the opening of Up, 
before it gets depressing. But like that kind of like adventure is out there opening. Yeah. But also yep. just like it, it's instantly arresting because it's not taking itself really seriously. It has a great energy to it. And there's the animation style. I saw someone today say that like it looked like someone threw like as a ne- as a negative towards the film. Like it looks like the characters were designed by throwing DreamWorks and Aardman in a blender. And I was like, yeah. How is that a bad thing? Like, <laughs> look at the designs of these characters. They look fabulous, like the big round heads and the big noses and, like, all, like, this kind of exaggerated cartoon look for them was really, really um, exciting, particularly after just how, like, you know, moving towards realism, both Raya and Frozen and Encanto had kind of lent towards. It was nice to see something that had a bit more stylization to it. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't feel like a... It, it like a Disney princess look or something. No. It was a bit more unique and and I yeah, I really enjoyed the, uh, the art style throughout most of it. Like, I mean, uh, just the kind of level that they're at these days with different textures and different like styles in the same sequence or shot. Like they're really blending a lot. I feel like with the computer animation these days, and it's it's just so beautiful. Like all the time, you know. And, like basically, and I mean, you know. The- a lot of the the um the animators we've talked about on this podcast over the last few years one of the th- uh, quite a few of them have said that thing of like the the thing that's so exciting about animation is that it is a capable of the things that that live action are not po- capable of yeah. doing yeah. but also that why would you want to try and like why would you want realism like animation like if you want realism just shoot a live action film the beauty of animation is you don't have to do realism that there can be some sort of heightened reality or stylized reality that you can create and this film really takes advantage of that but also it's probably one of the first films in a really long time and i would include pixar in this where it could only have really been made in a computer in the sense that pardon me once you get to like we're jumping i'm jumping very far ahead in the film but once you get to the strange world underneath um there's like the, the the creatures you encounter have a kind of text textural quality to them, yeah. That yeah. you couldn't like a, a, you couldn't do in a hand drawn animated film, and that becomes very important. Obviously, when we get to the end, where we find out what these creatures are, that they don't have that they that they are able to create a very different kind of texture and look for them. And so it was the first one I'd seen in ages where I was like, actually, like. Being made in a computer is to this film's advantage. Even like masterpieces like Luca and Turning Red, as spectacular as they are, it's not like the they're made in a computer because that's the way that people make anim- Americans make animated films now. While this feels like a fully like embraces the possibilities of what this medium can do. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I was just trying to remember what the name of the actual place is. Avalonia. 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 Yeah. And what's the name of the... I can't remember. What's the name of... Oh, Pando is the name of the plant. Pando. It's great. Now that I'm looking... Because when I tried to write the review, it was like the day after and no one had written anything up on Wikipedia about any of the details of the film. And I was like, what the fuck is the name? Because I remember the name of the plant was the one thing I didn't like about the film. I was like, what the fuck does Pando mean? Yeah, they kept saying that. Yeah, it's like Pando, Pando. But it's like, all right, I guess they just have to name it something. Um, Um, But I agree. That was a bit annoying. um, So... Uh, do, we, do, we, do, we, do we give a synopsis for the film? Has everyone seen it? Do I need to say what happens in it? Or do we want to go through it scene by... Because I mean, the thing... Usually with these these episodes, what I would now do is give you a history of the making of the film. But I can't do that <laughs> because it came out three days ago. Well, and this actually is the reason why we can't... Why cutting off an Encanto is kind of a good idea for us. Because it's, it's very hard to talk about the making of a film that's only just come out. Yes, and yes. 
with this particular film, it's not doesn't look like they're really going to go for broke and kind of releasing lots of information about it. So that's kind. This is kind of one of the reasons. Is like I'd love to tell you where it came from. Like obviously, it's from the director of Big Hero Six, which is a film that fucking rules. It's from the screenwriter, one of the co-screenwriters of Raya and the Last Dragon, but she's also the co-director of it. So there, like you know, there are, there's some links that are in it. But other than that, I don't. I, yeah, I don't have any background on the making of this one. Um, so should we go through? From the beginning, then I can just talk about the film in general. Let's just yeah, let's just fucking jump in. Why not? Let's just do that. This is going to um, be a different, a different vibe, a different chat. Just a, a casual chat. So yeah, the first thing we do is we meet uh, Ultimate Animation Daddy Jaeger Clay. <laughs> where I looked at it, as soon as he came on screen, I was like, oh, I know so many gay men they're going to lose their minds over this one. <laughs> um, and the whole and like it, you know the thing that's. One of the really lovely qualities of the film, like I think I say in my review for Switch, that science fiction is not a genre that Disney animation takes on very often, and in almost every case, it's a failure. Like they're not like you know, Atlantis didn't do overly well, Treasure Planet didn't do overly well, Chicken Little didn't do overly well, the Robinsons didn't. I mean, Lilo and Stitch maybe could be classified as science fiction because obviously Lilo is no Stitch is an alien from outer yeah, space, but yeah. it's set mostly in Hawaii and about him, you know, learning about Hawaiian culture. So maybe that doesn't quite count. The only one that is even remotely successful and it's still kind of been forgotten is Big Hero Six. Um, even though it's an Oscar-winning film. Um, so science fiction is, is even though it feels like it would, should be a really obvious place for an- Disney animation to go, it just doesn't, it just never has seemed to fit right with them. But I think it, what's so lovely about this film is that it roots itself in a very particular kind of science fiction aesthetic, which is the kind of pulp pulp magazine science fiction of the 30s and 40s and you know you're thinking of you know like the flash gordon style adventures and basically kind of like the 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 kind of material that indiana jones is based on well i was gonna say like it stylistically and thematically and structurally like it was just like this is a really good star wars indiana jones like clone almost i don't know like totally. it just uh, so many times i was like this is so star warsy but in a really good way yes. and kind of in a way that i haven't felt watching any of the new star wars movies no. <laughs> like you know what i mean i was like oh this feels like star wars like when i was a kid <laughs> well the thing that's re- the thing that works really beautifully about it and i think as much as you know the screenplay is often a thing that you don't we don't really talk about when it comes to animated film mostly just because at least with Ink and Paint, there hasn't been one. Like once we get to, the, I know from the films in the '90s that I've already done the research and the notes for. Obviously, talking about the screenplay is slightly more prominent because that's when they're trying to establish a screenplay as an important part of the process. But the screenplay really stuck out for me with this film in the sense that it takes its time to like that first act, which is you know, um, oh god, what is the name of the place again? Uh, Avalonia. Avalonia. Like the whole first opening when you're you know, in Avalonia setting up the idea of it being this city trapped in these mountains and Jaeger Clay just trying to get to the other side to find out what's there. Like it's it's really erudite, straightforward storytelling that's really clear and gets the job done very quickly. And that gives it time to spend getting to know who these characters are. And the characters, like real like particularly the the um the relationship between Jaeger and Searcher you get it pretty much straight away. And that's really to the film's advantage because it do- it has a lot of ideas to set up, but it like the script takes its time to get all the characters right, which is kind of like when you think about, you know, 
Maybe in terms of story structure, Star Wars makes a bit more sense as a compa- comparison to this than necessarily Indiana Jones, because one of the joys of Indiana Jones is we know nothing about Indiana Jones. It isn't until film three that we actually find out any background information. But Star Wars does take a little bit of time, the original, to set up who Luke is, to set up even to an extent who Leia is, even though like we don't have a lot of information. But it that first act is actually quite... Um, like uh, it's it's uh, it takes its time. It doesn't like it. You know, it's not rushing to get to the story, and that's kind, that's similar to what Strange World does. So yeah, we have this opening prologue section where Jaeger Clade is trying to get to the other side of these imp- these imp- impossible mountains, and Searcher's going to be forced into being an adventurous son, even though it clearly doesn't match him, and he's not inept at it. It's just he's not interested in it, and the conflict being when. You know, one see one. You know, he finds the plant and sees a possible future um, for everyone back home, and that's when the rift kind of starts up. And like, you now that's you know, the, the nice thing about one of the really lovely things about the, the story structure of Strange World is that it establishes a really clear thematic through line very early on in the film yeah, and allows yeah. that to play out before it introduces its final one, and that those two things are inextricably, inextricably linked, which is the idea of Parents and of like parents and children not finding a way to communicate through the fact of like not being able to listen to one another, which obviously when we get to the end, when you find out the the climate change angle, is kind of the same point of like it's all about the the art of listening, and I think that's quite like that's that's one of the loveliest qualities about this is that the art of listening is really paramount to all the relationships functioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, I, I like the art of listening. I, I was thinking about it in a in the way of like I feel like it's a lot about different perspectives because you've got a Jaeger's perspective, Searcher's uh, perspective, and um, Ethan's perspective. Ethan's perspective, and and everyone's perspective is the valid in their moment. But then yeah. it's really important to understand when you need to change your perspective to to take on a new one and to yes. change path. You know. Um, so yeah, the art of listening, and but also not not saying that they were wrong; they were right until they were right no more. I guess you know is yes. kind of the the vibe. Yeah, I mean that actually brings up also the thing that's that's really um, also really works about the film is that it doesn't have a villain, um, yeah, which is a yeah. thing that Encanto likes to bang the drum about. But actually, it does have a villain. It just doesn't realize it has a villain, which is the fucking grandmother. <laughs> Who's just one of the one of the most horrid characters in any Disney film, for various reasons that I'm sure one day someone will explain to me is I mean I'm incorrect and I'll I'll see it in a different light. But like Strange World doesn't have a villain, but the reason it doesn't have a villain is because everybody has the potential to be both the hero and the villain at any given point. Yeah, um, like in that moment in the, in the in the prologue, it's that it's that thing of like they're both right. Jaeger wants to continue into the mountains to see what's on the other side. That's a completely valid thing. Like, that's his dream. That's what he's aiming for. But he's incapable of listening to what it is that Searcher is saying, which is, like, actually, there's something else here that we should be investigating. And so that's, you know, the rift between father and son is already so, like, already starting to pull apart. And then it literally is pulled apart by the fact that they're separated in that opening where Jaeger goes off into the mountains and Searcher goes back home and he brings the pando... um, to the city, and they're able to introduce the concept of electricity to the city. Um, they really should have named it something that doesn't sound like some kind of like sweet bun or something, or, or like, like a I don't large know. furry animal from, yeah. from China. Yeah, it just yeah, I don't, yeah, it doesn't sound like electric fruit. 
No, it doesn't at all. <laughs> it's a strange. It's I, the whole film was like, what is? Because I couldn't even work out. Like, maybe someone, maybe someone. We won't rewatch it, or someone on the podcast who's listening, um, one of the patrons can explain to me what the etymology of the word is within the world of Strange World. But I don't know. Um, but the thing, the, the, and then you go from the prologue to kind of finding out the way that Pando has changed the. Um, the way that Avalonia works and the way that it's improved to kind of turn it into this utopia. Um, and then we spend a long time. And, like, for a film that goes for an hour, just over an hour and a half, it is actually quite a substantial, pe- like, period of the film. Getting to know what Search's life is now, um, now that he doesn't have his father around. And so he ha- he's married to his wife, uh, Meridian Clade. Um, obviously, Search is voiced by Jake Gyllenhaal. Meridian is voiced by uh, Gabriel... Uh, union. Um, so you're finding out what this whole, like this, uh, this dynamic is. We get our first look at Searcher as an adult. He's also a babe. Um, I was like a whole different set of gay men are going to lose their minds over the side of this guy. Um, but like the, that he's a sta- and like in the center of all this is their son, Ethan, who's voiced by, I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Jabuki young white. Um, and first of all, you have, you know, Two people from like two different skin colors as the parents of you know of, of you know as, as, a, as a couple in the film, which brings you know instantly there is a diversity to the faces that we're seeing in the film, which is great. Um, and the relationship between like the center of Ethan's of of of, of Searcher's world is being a farmer, which feels like such a wonderful antithesis to the idea of being an explorer. That one is about constant movement. Um, constant danger, constant search for adventure, and a farmer is about stability. It's both of them are jobs that never end and both have a tremendous amount of responsibility and hard work that goes into them, but they represent two ideas of, like, moving or staying put. And, like, that feels like a really good... And that's that kind of idea is played a lot in when Jaeger returns to the film in the relationship that exists between them. And then actually is kind of that that struggle is personified in Ethan in that he has kind of both this feeling of yep, wanting yep. to have stability, but that like uncomfortableness in his skin in the sense of like, I feel like there's something more for me than this, even though I know I'm very good at this. Um, and it gives us a great portrait of like what what their life, what Searcher's life has become, but also where does his father sit in relation to him now? Because obviously, you know, there's that great bit where they go into the city square and there's the giant um, statue of Jaeger and right next to it is a giant statue of Searcher, which, like, adds into this... So the conflict in the film is not that Searcher's like, I've got this famous dad and everyone compares him to me. It's actually just what... How do I feel about my dad and what does that mean about me being a dad? Um, Which is... Like, I know that for my parents, I know for my dad, who I don't have a relationship now, but for probably reasons to do with this, but he was active, so actively trying to not be his dad and in the process became his dad. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. that, But at least with Searcher, that anxiety is very much at the forefront and it manifests in a tremendous amount of love and respect and um, uh, care for his son. Um, so that kind of gives a sense that, th- that this this clade family dynamic is one that really works like meridian is a fantastic she's not just the wife character that sits in the background we'll get more into her as the film goes on but um yeah you get such a strong sense of what the society is now and where this family fits in within it um there's that moment where they're like cooking and stuff and they're kind of like this perfect nuclear family or whatever with with their divine three-legged dog (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. which is just like he's my favorite (laughs) i have to say this film really nails the like animal sidekicks in the sense that like 
um, like there's this great when we meet later when we meet Splat when we get into the the underground world and there's the line from one of the scientists of oh kind of I, I you know I want to merchandise him as much as it's like it's the kind of funny in joke it's also the thing of like these this is probably the least merchandisable film Disney's made in a long time <laughs> but they're the most interesting it's kind of like that moment where um in Moana where you think that the little pig who I can't remember the name of the little pig for you know because of what happens you think that's going to be the animal sidekick that Moana's going to have on her adventure but then she leaves the pig behind and it's hey hey the chicken and hey hey is just such the antithesis of what you think of the like the cutesy Disney sidekick to be like in Olaf, like Olaf is great, a great character, but he's kind of the cutesy sidekick that there's this like nice kind of edge to, you know, they've got this, because what's the dog's name? I can't remember. I should have, I should have reread all of this stuff before I actually. Oh, uh, that's all right. We're, we're not, you know, we're not on the clock or anything. Uh, no, I can't, I can't see where it says the name of the dog. Anyway, we love the dog, the dog rules, the three legged dog, um, which I guess brings us to, uh, one of the other things that rules about this film, which is Ethan. Um, and, you know, being anyone who pays attention to the new, to like film news and Disney stuff in the last decade and a bit, we know that we've heard over and over and over and over again, the phrase Disney's first gay queer character, LGBTIQ plus character. And every fucking time it's like a glance a 0.5 second shot, someone putting their hand on somebody's shoulder. No, like, no, it's, a, it's nothing. What, it's are like some, a nothing. what are some examples of that? Uh, there is the shot at the end of Beauty and the Beast where you see LeFou dancing with another man. There right, is right. the, um, there's the queer character in Cruella. There is, there's even a, a, a queer coded moment in Wakanda Forever. There's the utter embarrassment of the one in Endgame. Um, which is uh, where the, one of the Russo brothers is like, it's the scene where that like Captain America is running like a, a support group, people who've lost their family when the click happened. And right. only after the film came out, did, did the Russo's like, oh yeah, that character that one of us is playing is a, is gay. And no one knew about it. <laughs> like it's the thing of like these, these moments are so tiny and so inconsequential. I think partially because they need, they want to be able to cut them out of the film so that countries, like China, who don't appreciate uh, content with, with yeah, LGBT plus characters. Yeah. And so it, it's yeah. always, but there's always the thing of like patting themselves on the back for like, we've done something, we've done a great thing. And then you get there and you go, well, there's nothing there. Like yep. it's, yep. it's of, it's of no consequence to this film or anything about like to the film. Yeah, It's like, it's a headline in the West and then a, cut it out in the east or whatever and then exactly. ultimately doesn't help anyone <laughs> yes and for for you know i know as as you know as a member of the lgbtiq plus community it's progressively just got so frustrating as to be insulting where it's yeah. like we are an add-on that you can use to get cred without actually putting the work in similar to the shot of all the women all the, the female characters running into battle in endgame where it was just like that's you think that's enough you think that just kind of by throwing us a scrap we should be thankful that you did that. Um, and so when there was an announcement that that was going to be the case with Strange World of, oh, Disney's first first queer character. It's like, yeah, we've heard this shit before. We've heard this shit so many times. And so it came as a genuine, wonderful, <laughs> jaw-dropping surprise that they actually fucking did it this time. <laughs> like, like Ethan is not only is Ethan one of the kind of the core main characters of the film, 
but his queerness is actually part of the story. Like, that, you know, it's not, you know, we don't get to see him kiss another boy, unfortunately. We don't get to him see <laughs> Oh, you would have loved that. <laughs> well, it, I mean, I would have because, the, the, you know, it would have just been, like, a, a, a great moment. But, like, we get to see him have this moment where he has a crush on Diazo, the boy yeah. that he knows, um, the, the, the local boy that he knows. All his friends are aware of the fact that they're flirting. They make a comment on the fact that they're flirting. His father comes in and makes a big deal about meeting Diazo and embarrassing Ethan. And at no point is there ever, like a sign of shame. There's never a sign of that there is anything awkward or weird about it. Even yet later when Ethan has the conversation with Jaeger, once they reunite with Jaeger about the fact that he likes another boy, Jaeger doesn't bat an eyelid about it. Yeah. Yep. And it's one of those things where, because where, that's the fear is that these are going to be aspects of this character where you can just remove those from it. That, you know, you could edit this out of the film and it would be inconsequential. And I mean, you probably could with a lot of tricky editing, remove the queer subplot from Strange World but it feels a little bit too integral because also it kind of feels integral to understanding who Ethan is as a character where it's like the identity of being able to, to be himself is not represented in the way of him having to come out, but it's still kind of linked to the idea of like knowing yourself, finding yourself, finding your place in the world, which is such an important aspect of queer narrative. Um, and well, that, and I film- guess to maybe, I mean, tell me if I'm speaking out of turn, but to, uh, I guess to know yourself in a community or a world where there wasn't a hurdle to jump over to find yourself, yes. I guess. Like he obviously has been able to just be gay and it wasn't a question or a, you know, in his life. And so he's in a way more sure of himself already, yes. I guess. Yes. And like the the thing of, and I, I've seen a few few comments on this as a positive of just how easy it is. Like, the, the, not how easy it is for Ethan to exist in the world, which is wonderful, as it should be. This is a fantasy film, so it, it can do that. But how easy it is that Disney incorporates this character, that incorporates Ethan into the film and his queerness into the film without ever having to make any kind of big deal out of it. It's not in the background. It's not a, it's not a blinking, you miss it moment. It just is, like that, like, that was the big thing I got from it was just... It was so fucking easy. Why didn't you do yeah, this so much, yeah. so much, so, so long ago? Like, you could have done this so easily in so many films. Like, you know, there is the whole constant debate on whether, like, um, Elsa is a queer character in Frozen, which maybe she is. But the thing is that this made it, this, the ease with which Ethan's queerness is incorporated into Strange World just made the fact that it's taken this long so much more frustrating, as much as it was also something that you just wanted to celebrate because it was like, ah, oh, look. And it's not like there are many other queer characters in many other animated films full stop coming out of America. This is a thing that Pixar has not been able to solve. I think there's another blink and you miss it moment in Lightyear, but I mean, Lightyear is a blink and you miss it moment <laughs> film in general. But like, you know, I can't, like the last time I can think of a major American animated film that had a queer character, in it, and I, hopefully other people can correct me with this, but like Paranorman's the last one where I remember it being integral, yeah, right. like integrated into the story in a, in a way. But, I mean, the thing that's even more exciting about Ethan is he's one of the leads and he's also a person of colour on top yeah, of that. Yeah, so, there's, yeah. like, it's just this kind of, like, you know, for a liberal-minded person, this is a fucking nightmare. But, like, <laughs> in a way, great. Of course it should be a fucking nightmare. Um, you know, it, it's it's just so instant. And, like, by that point, once that was introduced, I just had so much confidence the film was going to do something. Like, something well, and meaningful. It just, 
it just feels like it reflects the world without trying to reflect the world. Yes. All of a sudden, it's, there's no there's no tokenism in any of the uh, no. races or genders or sexualities. It's just, oh, here's everyone and they're just everyone. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, I um, mean, like, one of the big things for me is that, like, I don't think I've ever seen a film where there was a gay character and it wasn't a talking point, a, a hurdle, a joke, a token character. Like, I, I think this is the first time I've seen a film where it was just like, oh, oh, yeah, it, it's just part of the life. And yeah. as soon as uh, Searcher, you know, didn't mention it, I was like, oh, cool. And then, I, you know, me growing up through all the media I've seen, expecting someone to make a comment about it, I was almost shocked when... Uh, Jaeger didn't make a comment about yeah. it and it made me so happy because I was sitting there and there was like six kids in the cinema and I was like, oh my God, these kids are going to grow up and not be taught that it's like a que- a different thing to be gay because that's yes. what I was taught, you know. And the wonderful, like, the wonderful thing awesome. about... The wonderful thing about like the conversations, those two scenes, the one where like, you know, where Searcher is trying to like talk to Diazzo the way that we've always imagined like a heterosexual man would talk to like a a girl that his heterosexual son would like or or vice versa Um, with that kind of like over enthusiasm is like entirely not trying to overcome an awkwardness, but just because he's like an excited parent and Jaeger. And also the fact that when he explains, when he then explains to Jaeger that he has this crush on this boy, that his response is just exactly what you would expect him to say. Like, like, you know, you just got to put put the guy in danger and then save him and he'll love him. That's what I did with my wife. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, there's, yeah. the, the char- like, there's not a point where you see the characters have to um, reorient their worldview in order to accommodate for yes, this. It's simply yeah. that this world, that it is just a given within their worldview no matter what. And that doesn't mean they have to change who they are in order to talk to Ethan. They just talk to Ethan about his life and his crush and what it is that he the person that he likes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and there's no like there's no like sense of like masculinity in like a traditional sense. Like like it, it, it could have been that Jaeger was this toxic masculine explorer who thought that his son was like a boring farmer who wasn't strong but it wasn't it wasn't written or or shown like that it was just like oh there's strength in being an explorer there's strength in being a farmer like all these things can be like masculine or or whatever you know what i mean like there wasn't this like there was no toxicity in the way they spoke about anything it's less about the conflict between jaeger and searcher is less about and then ultimately ethan because ethan has to be pulled into a being you know if if you know if the 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 journey that Searcher goes through is realizing that as much in him trying to not be his father, he's become his father. Ethan obviously has to be integral to the real, that realization. But the difference, the, the conflict between Jaeger and Searcher is not a question, like in terms of the way to behave and the what you and like the what you do in the world is less about what it is to be a man and also just like it's just about yeah. their different senses of self worth yeah. of like the example they want to set for their family and in particular their son. That if I present you know, if if I if I give if I present my sense of worth onto them, they will also have a sense of worth. If I feel like you know, Jaeger believes his achievements in the world make him feel strong and make him feel like he's he's a part of the world and worthy, then his son will feel the same way if he does the same things. And it's like it's that thing about well, parents wanting to create a world where their child can exist safely and as a valued member of society. And like 
you like you know it's and it's very it's much clearer with Searcher I guess than Jaeger because Jaeger is obviously slightly more self oriented about trying to get to the other side of the mountains. But you know this, <laughs> a little, this thing a little of, bit a little bit zany. <laughs> yeah, but it's wanting to protect your child not from the dangers of the world, but to prepare them for the like to just to create a safe world for them to exist in. And like the safety being, I know what you're going to do when I leave. I'm going to give you all these skills that I know how to do, and you can just do the same thing. I can see it with like. My family, like my my stepdad, is a farmer, um, and I yeah. can see with his relationship with my youngest brother, who's the one most likely to inherit and take over the farm and stuff, that there is, um, there was the assumption he will one day take it over, and he probably will because he'll do great. Um, but also, it's the navigating of my brother having to kind of assert, well, yeah, but there are other things I want to do as well. Like there are other kind of career paths I want to take, um, and watching my stepdad in you know, doing a great job and kind of having to reorient his view of who his son is and what his expectations of his son are in order to accommodate for the fact that there are now two different paths that he might take. Um, but the problem for Jaeger and Searcher is that they can't conceive of any other paths because they think that what they're doing is the safest and of the most worth until Ethan kind of comes in and goes, well, actually, I kind of want to do both or I yeah, want to do my own yeah. version of both. Yeah. Um, which I guess brings us also, like, we've talked about the fact that Jaeger comes back, so I guess we should talk about what that happens next, um, that they then get visited by um, the president of Avalonia, who's voiced by Lucy Liu, Callisto Mal, the president. Callisto. Um, uh, who was on the expedition with... He's on the expedition with Jaeger and Searcher when they find Pando. So she's been able to kind of use Searcher's discoveries to kind of help build this utopian society in Avalonia. But the the bomb that she drops on um, on Searcher is that the panda is dying, and they've traced the idea of um, they've worked out that the panda is not lots of different plants; it's a single plant, um, which is a really great inf- like it's a it's a it's the kind of first indication that this is possibly because the realization this film is about climate change and environmentalism doesn't really come until the end of the film, yeah. which is wonderful in the sense that it kind of gives you this one that it kind of lands its idea in a really organic way. But this is kind of the first indication it might be because that's, you know, there are plant systems that are like that. Like there's a belief that plant, like trees talk to one another through their root systems and the idea of this interconnectedness of the natural world. So they know that there's at some place, somewhere under the ground, there is a heart of the, of Pando and they need to go and protect it from the rot that is currently killing the plant. Um, and so then, yeah, the searcher... Um, and Searcher decides to join, has, is, you know, convinced to join them on an expedition to go underground to find the heart of this plant. And um, Meridian and Ethan and the three-legged dog, whose name we can't remember, um, join, <laughs> join them on the journey. Well, Ethan sneaks on. Ethan sneaks on. Um, and this, like... The, the you know I, I grew up watching like Journey to the Center of the Earth and Twenty Thousand Leagues Under yeah. the Sea and like so that was there was a great fun in what like kind of the, that old you know late eighteen hundreds classic science fiction thing of like go like the the journey to a new strange world like you know it's similar to Atlantis I guess as well the the Disney film Atlantis which we will obviously talk about on the podcast but like you have the journey and then you are revealed this this amazing new environment um and the world in strange world when they finally get there is fucking fantastic yeah yeah like yeah it's that thing of what is this film going to give me that i haven't seen before and the beautiful thing about the world in strange world that they end up in which is you know the colors are so vibrant and bizarre 
and every and like they keep making these comments like everything is alive and everything is connected. And there's this great thing of like it's a world the kind of which you don't feel like you've ever seen before, but also feels like you have seen it before. Like, did you have that sense like when they got there of being like, this all feels very familiar? Did you get that at all watching it? Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Like it was it it yeah, it was refreshing to look at, I think. It was just like, yeah, familiar but also very new and just yeah. I really just loved how it just went from going underground to being in this wide expanse. Like yeah. it was just presented well and just that, you know, I was kind of for a moment like, oh, we're going to now do like a tunnel movie or something like, but then yeah. it opens up and um, yeah, it, it, it was just done really, it's hard to describe it, I guess, but it's just done beautifully and, and yeah, very well, it feels, en- engaging. It feels like this, this world has an ecosystem where there are like it has a like it functions as a self-contained ecosystem environment and the film doesn't ever really take the time to like obviously at the end we find out what what the interconnectedness between all of these various creatures and landscapes are but to begin with it doesn't take its time to actually explain any of it to us we just kind of observe it like it's one thing i really loved about it was all of the designs of the creatures um the designs obviously did that thing of like foreign yet familiar and i remember at one point looking at it being like they do all kind of look like they're cells from the human body don't they and then you just let it pass and you're like oh maybe that was their inspiration they decided to go with that as an idea and then you obviously realize the end that's exactly what they are but you're also just watching these creatures just go about their business like that's another thing i really liked was that you know, yes, there are kind of creatures that you know have got you know the 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 um the predatory creatures, but they're just being predatory. Like there's no there's no reveal of a like a villain animal. And there's that great scene between Jaeger and Searcher and Ethan where he's trying to explain the concept to them with the card game that there is no such thing as a villain in the natural yes, world. Yes, it is yes. just that everybody has their function. And he can't get into their heads the idea that like a big scary monster is actually not a big scary monster. It's just a it's just a thing. Um, and so the, the kind of beauty of the way the world, the, the, the artistic team of the film have constructed the world is that it feels like this, it feels like this world has existed and functioned before these characters turned up and will continue to function without them, that their presence is actually until the end, obviously their presence is inconsequential to whether or not this world exists. Yes, a hundred percent. And I think there's just something uh, like, I, I, I'm just thinking about it now, but I think it's obviously a combination of the actual art direction of of Avalonia and the strange world and the whole thing, the concept of it. And then it's also got to obviously have the, the characters play into it, the story plays into it for what actually sells it and makes it good. Because I'm having a roundabout way of saying when we watch Ryan and the Last Dragon, like that movie has lots of locations. Yes. Um, and they all look fine. But I remember not caring about any of the locations and just thinking like, yeah. oh, that looks like this. Oh, good job. You've done like a little city with lights now or something. Or now we're in the desert. Like it, it's that that thing of, as you say, with animation, you can do anything, um, but you still need still need to sell it and like yes okay it's a it's a beautiful icy green forest town world or whatever then we go under and now it's like this strange alieny type place but it it doesn't matter how you style it as long as it's cohesive and there's there's the kind of 
reason to buy into it. And and yeah. for whatever reason, I just found myself probably like 20 minutes in being like, oh, I'm actually like in this world. Yeah. Versus something like Ride and the Last Dragon where I wasn't in any of those places. Well, I think it's also that the underground world is such a character in the film. And I know yeah. that's like, it's it's a very easy thing and kind of a glib thing. I, the kind of glib, I guess, to say, of saying like the environment is a character. Like when you say you know, a film and New York is the character in the film. But it really, I think it's because it's not that the landscape is integral to the storytelling, which obviously it is in this, but it's the sense the landscape is a thing on its own. Mm. Like I think, and I think that's, that's kind of the key to making it. Because I mean, also you spend so much time in, Avalonia, which feels like it could be like any, like it reminded me of the city in Zootopia. Like it, it, all of that feels like there are kind of markers of familiarity. And then the film very slowly introduces the more abstract. And that's the other really, the thing that's really wonderful about the design of the, of the, of the strange world in strange world is that it's, it's abstract. Like yes, it's not yeah, like yeah. you know you Atlantis you know it's it's founded in kind of ancient mythology which is understandable and every time we've gone to any kind of uh, you know fantastical world in a Disney film usually it has a grounding in some sort of reality this does have a grounding in a reality it's just not the reality that we would first assume the story well, would, and would, I, would be engaging with. I, I think that's what's so great about it. Like, Avalonia is actually, like, whatever. It's not, it's not about Avalonia. It's about where Avalonia is. Yes. Like, where that exists. So, it's like Avalonia could have been, a, yeah, based on a European village or an Asian city or whatever. It's not really... It's more about where Avalonia actually sits and exists, which speaks then to the final point of it all of, like, you know, we're on something greater than... Yes. Our city or whatever, you know? So it's kind of that. And that was good because, like, yeah, Avalonia is kind of like whatever, right? It's just yeah. like cool. Um, but it's more than that. It's about the what's what's underneath. And it's also, the, I think, going back to the idea of the, the thing of the, the, the environment, like the world they end up in, it, their presence is inconsequential to it and these creatures are just doing their thing. It's like when Splat gets introduced. So when so Ethan, um, Ethan and Searcher get separated from the rest of the group because the um, the ship that the airship they're using crashes in the process searcher is reunited with Jaeger who's been living there the whole time but Ethan trying to get back to find his father because that's why he's left he's trying to go gone off to try and find searcher um, meets this blue kind of blob thing yeah they call, is it called splat splat yeah splat yeah um, and this is the point where the cute little Disney character would appear but there's actually kind of an edge to splat. In the sense that, like, Splat is leading him to these, you know, giant squid creatures that will that will devour him. But that's just because that's its that's his function. And like, that's the again the nice thing about all of these creatures within this ecosystem have a function that they serve, and all of them kind of just let them get on with it. Um, and even when Splat becomes like you know Ethan is nice to him and Splat kind of becomes his becomes his friend and becomes their companion there's still a sense of Splat being like yes but I have a job to do and I'm going like I'm linking this in with my with my job which is essentially what they're all all like all of the different creatures in the strange world are converging on which is to save it from Pando as opposed to trying to like you know they're not there to destroy it like Pando is not a positive it's a negative um which obviously brings that, like when you know this co- coming later into the film, but maybe it's worth talking about the environmentalism in it, of 
how great a metaphor that is for, you know, what our reliance on the things that provide us with electricity, coal, gas, things that we dig into the earth, but inevitably are actually kind of destroying the environment yeah. in the yeah. process of, like, and that we are kind of complicit in allowing it to do uh, that. I, and I, well, I, yeah, and I think the biggest, uh, they don't really mention it in the film, but I think the takeaway is that, you know, they planted more of it, which would have accelerated its, um, uh, yeah, rotting of the heart of the earth or whatever, you know, and so that's yes. effectively what we've done. We've, we've used this resource in a way that is, multiplying its effects. And it, but it, ha- it has a nice, it has, like, when they realise, like, like, in the last act of the film, when they realise that Pando is actually killing this ecosystem and ultimately will kill their ecosystem, it's it's not passing judgement at them for having done it, which is, I think is actually quite a mature yeah. and really open and yeah. generous way to broach this subject with the audience, which is we are responsible for the destruction of our environment, but we didn't necessarily know that was going to happen. So it's not about a case of it's not about a case of making yeah. you feel guilty. I mean, even a film like a masterpiece like Wally, which does also deal with environmental like, issues, environmentalism, it does to a certain extent point out like you kind of did this to yourself, and like you know you've destroyed it and you've gone off and left. And there's a kind of ju- judgment that's d- d- um, delivered in that film, which is fine. Like it's it's a an incredible film. The nice thing about this film is that it doesn't pass judgment on Searcher or the people of Avalonia for their reliance on Pando. It's just kind of pointing out, you use this thing, actually it's really bad for it, so let's fix the problem and find a new solution. There's always a sense of, when with the ending of the film, a sense of forward motion of thinking about how do we fix the problem that we have? Yes, there's going to be sacrifices we need to make, but there are other options for... Like, the moment, obviously, the moment where the film just kind of lands its entire point really clearly at the audience's feet and goes, this is what we're talking about, is it is at the end of the film, after Pando's been, white, has been removed, and they realise they can use air as a form of generating electricity. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it's just, like, the, the film... Like, how, how blunt and direct the film is with its environmental environmental message but how generous and open and hopeful it is with delivering that message. Um, yeah, and I, and I think that's really important, actually, because I think that's where we <laughs> fail ourselves is that we often double down on the on the greed or the actions that we've done because we don't like being told that we're wrong. Yes. And, and, and there was a moment where I was, like, expecting... And it, it very nearly happens. Callisto, like, nearly becomes a villain who's like, nah, I'm gonna we're gonna save Pando and have electricity forever. And that's a pretty fleeting moment because she pretty quickly realizes, oh yeah, actually there's something to worry about here. And, it and it's so good that she doesn't go off and become that that stereotype of a character, you know? No. And that there's no it's not a villain moment. You think yeah, that she's gonna yeah. turn into the villain, but actually you like when she says what she's like in you know, the thing of like everyone's relying on us back home to keep like keep the power going. You're like, yeah, that's actually a valid, it's a valid concern to have. So let's find, like, but then, of course, what Searcher and Ethan and Jaeger are able to deliver is, like, yes, but the consequences of that are so great that it doesn't matter. Like, we yeah, still have to yeah. do the right thing. And that, yeah, that she turns and realises. And it kind of, the thing that, the the thing that really makes the metaphor of, like, the care we have to give our planet um, and what we're doing to it, the thing that really lands it is the realization that the world of Strange World is not that is to quote Jake Gyllenhaal 
in that that viral clip of him trying to explain the film really awkwardly, where he's like, "Maybe our world is pretty strange too," and the realization <laughs> is of that like, what he says, some, it's, re- it's really it's a, or something like that. It's really awkward. He's he's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal on a press circuit is the best because he's just he's just a big dag. But that's the thing of realizing that where they are is inside the like inside the like bodily system of a living thing that the reason why we look at those things and we're like, oh, they look like they're like cells in the body is because they are cells in a body. Like, they're the red blood cells and the white blood cells and there's like all, like, you know, there's the immune system and all those kind of things. And like, it, it's the realisation of delivering that idea of like, the, like combining a concept we all know, which is that we need to take care of the outlook, like the climate is, in, is, is suffering and we need to find a way to take care of it and connecting it with something that is very... Uh, tactile and relatable, which is what's happening inside our body, and it, yeah. like taking the metaphor being that what what the like the planet is the same as us. The planet yep. has, yep. and the realization that they're actually living on the back of this, which is a great thing at the end when you realize living on the back of a of a, of a giant turtle. Which like <laughs> yeah. it's like there are there are like the great religious con- um, connection. I can't remember which religion is it is that says that, that, that you know. Yeah, that is some that is something, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Um, and also, like, Terry Pratchett's Discworld is a giant, is like a world on the back of a giant turtle flying through space. Like, it's, there's a, it's, there's all, there's the great thing about that last act is the way that all these pieces just click and connect back into one another in a yeah. really beautiful way. But it makes the metaphor it's trying to land re- like even more relatable because it's like saying, well, you know, in this environment, its heart is being affected by what it is that we are doing to try for, to make our lives easier. The same way that if we don't take care of our bodies by not eating well, by not exercising, by not like doing all the things we need to do to keep ourselves health, healthy and safe, that will inevitably have an effect on our heart or our lungs or our body and it will start to break down. And so kind of being able to go, our natural environment is this is the same as a, as the ecosystem within a, within a living body, um, and be able to like it's it's it feels like one of the most tactile metaphors I've seen in a long time. Like think about the comparison to you know a film like Don't Look Up, which is just such a heavy handed, really poorly made um, film about you know environmentalism and environmental collapse and climate the climate crisis. And that this finds a way to, that is much simpler, much more direct, and makes a lot more sense, but also doesn't beat around the bush at the ending of trying to say what it's what, what it means. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's and just. Can- I was I was, sorry, I was just going to say, like, on all of its themes, it never feels like it it has a point of view. It just is. Like, yes. I, I always hate it when you're watching a movie or a TV show and you can just like feel or hear the writing that they're trying to make a point so yes. you know like everyone always kind of goes oh yeah they're just doing you know sometimes it works a bit but yeah you you don't ever want to feel like it's too obvious you want to just feel like it's just there like, yes you know and also that we land that we can land on the kind of central thematic idea of the film and like it's pretty bold to like not actually land your central concept until the end but i guess you need you need the relationship to develop the relationship between Jaeger and Serger and Ethan in order to really land the metaphor. Because it's the same thing of, like, it's you've got to listen. Like, the thing that, you know, at the end is the reason they realise, apart from finally getting on the other side of the mountains and realising that they're on the back of a giant living creature, <laughs> what they actually get led by is listening to what what the ecosystem is telling them, which is this thing is not a good thing. 
we're not trying to destroy it because we want like it's it, we're not trying to destroy it because it's you know we're you know being antagonistic we're trying to help keep this system working um yeah and just kind of, of listening. like the, the, yeah and to to, to that in the film itself like the way that all the you know uh, creatures turn from being scary to like friends of everyone now like cuz we need to help them do their job yeah. like that's it, such a as a beautiful message i think um because that's what Jaeger should have done for Searcher and what Searcher yeah, needs to do yeah. for Ethan is just yeah. let him let them do what they need to do listen to what it is that they need what it is they want to do or need to do and then help them to do it. Like, it's it's such an elegantly... It's an elegantly constructed um, thematic narrative in the film where, the, where this kind of main narrative of this relationship between fathers and sons, which is beautifully constructed and very potent and very um, honest, leads so naturally into the main final idea of the film, which is actually it, it's it's not just about it's about not just about listening to each other, it's about listening to everything around us. The idea that everything is kind of in harmony. Um and we need to pay attention to all of it. And it's it's and not seeing not we, you know listening and not real when you find out that what you're hearing is not necessarily what you want to hear, that it isn't a reason to be antagonistic. Or a reason to feel, yes, or a, yes. like you know that there's, you know, in the same way of realizing, well, this planet, this creature is not going to survive if we keep letting this plant grow. In the same way of like, my son's going to be miserable if I keep forcing him to do what it is that he, what I want him to do, and not what he wants to do. Um, it's almost that, like if you saw the Great Barrier Reef losing its color, you might not have offshore mines or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yes, maybe, possibly, <laughs> maybe. Um, I don't know if that's too uh, hard to analyse or something for people um, to understand. <laughs> but no, but it's that idea of like this This affects this yeah. in order for this outcome, but that it's not too late. Like it's not too late to fix that problem. Like even with Jaeger and Searcher, this is an ingrained conflict that has been going on like certainly for like for more than like you know, nearly three decades yeah. before Jaeger disappeared and then even while Jaeger while Jaeger had disappeared the the problem was still happening because like there's not a sense of being able to fix the problem Searcher is just kind of projecting his anxieties and his dis 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 um his disenchantment with his father out into the ether but and there's nothing that can come back because he can't fix that he's just directing it at a statue and then manifesting that in his relationship with his son um and there's like you know the great thing is that Meridian, as the kind of you know, the the one sitting in the middle of this you know, of this conflict, has a hyper awareness of what it is that her husband is doing. Like you never get the sense that she's you know she. And the great thing about her is that oftentimes in the film she kind of steps out of the way and has her own her own adventure and her own character development. But her job is to kind of be there, not and be the supportive wife. But to kind of be the, the 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 voice of truth in it all, of like yeah, being able to point, yeah. like you know, you're being an idiot. Oh no, like you know, they've had this realization. Like, yeah, I know. You just needed to come to that realization yourself. And then in that case, then her, supporting the development of that relationship. Um, well, yeah, and again, letting letting them come to the realization themselves, and you yes, know, um, and just to what you were saying before, it's never too late. And also, the best time to start is now. Yes, you know, like that, that's the other thing. Like, it's not that it's. Well, that ship sailed or anything. Like, yeah. if you as soon as you realize it, make a change. Yeah, and the lovely thing of you know, in the end, 
Jaeger still goes off and, be, is, and is an explorer and Searcher continues to be a farmer and Ethan will go and find out what he wants to do. And, like, it's... At the end, nothing has changed. Like, yes, the, the yes, society has yes. had to change, but it hasn't changed. Like, they're not without electricity. They just find a way to adapt. And, like, that's the thing that the optimism the film has. Like, it's such a wonderful thing to see a film about environmentalism that's really optimistic, that, you know, it's, it's identifying the crisis, but going, there is a way we can fix this. I mean, it's also just so fucking bizarre that it's coming from a company like Disney that they're allowing them to make... Like, they were allowed to make this film. Um, <laughs> and that it comes through so clearly... I think that's the, that is almost the most complimentary thing I can say about the film, is the clarity of its ideas, the clarity of its ex- of its execution, and the clarity of its message. It doesn't really beat around the bush. Like that's the thing with Raya. As much as I re- I do quite like Raya, it's it's a bit of a like a thematic mess. You don't quite know what you're supposed to get from it at the end, and then when the, it's delivered, when the theme is delivered, it's kind of exposition, and you kind of have to have it spelt out for you. Encanto is just a a fucking horrendous thematic mess that keeps kind of eating itself constantly. Frozen Frozen 2 is just too troubled in its construction to be able to work out what it is it's trying to say. And Ralph Breaks the Internet is just like it's trying to say something that that was was trying to talk about a world that didn't exist anymore. Like making a film about the internet can't work because you're like everything it was referencing was already like three months ago and we've already moved past that so the idea that like and the thing that's so lovely about strange world is it's really short like it's only just over an hour and a half like most disney films are now two hours long this just covers an hour and it's like just over an hour and a half it's got really clear characters really clear relationships the construction the story is really well constructed and is really simple we get in there we get the job done and we get out well that was actually probably my first and only concern was that its simplicity was going to uh, work against it. Like, as you yeah. said earlier, like, straight away, you're just thrown into, like, there's this father-son issue. And at first I was like, oh, they're making this really obvious. Um, and I was kind of like, is that going to make it a bit dull and kind of stupid or something? But actually, no, the strength of this film is that it, it is quite direct. Yes. Like, that's what works for it. And it just it was refreshing because it was direct and maybe a little bit simple but also when there's important messages that's fine but like you know like some of the best some of the best animated films to come from america in the last few years luca is you know this sublime jewel of a film about you know acceptance and tolerance and embracing differences but at the end of the day it is about two little boys who want a vespa like that's just that is what it is (laughs) it's just a film about two little boys who want a vespa and with turning red you know, it's this magnificent metaphor about, you know, the coming of age for, for, for young women and the process of what it is to become a woman and, you know, metaphors around menstruation and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's also just about a little girl who turns into a, into a red panda and, like, the complications <laughs> of, like, what, of what that means for her and, her and like, at her age in the environment she's living in and all of her concerns and interests. Like, yeah, there's yeah. a simple... Like, and I've definitely seen some re- responses because it is criminal the lack of reviews this film has gotten. Like, I was, like, you know, there was an embargo put on this film for the reviews. I was very excited to, re- to put my review up because I loved the film. And then I woke up the next mo- the morning after the embargo lifted to go and see what other people thought of it. And there's just no reviews of this film. There's just, it's like, there's no responses. And the few responses mm. I've seen on, like, the most responses I've seen online mostly have been really positive, apart from 
one particular area which we are gonna ha- we'll have to talk about. But there's also been people who just like, oh, it's just really straightforward and like its theme is pretty obvious. And it's like, yeah, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, like, that's not a that's bad thing. That's actually yeah. a good yeah. thing. Yeah, it's a, it's you know it's a work for children with a really really important message. Why shouldn't it be simple? Like, why do we have to expect that everything? Like, you know, we we, we hold up Pixar as like the denizen of the greatest animated films of the past 20, 30 years. They're pretty straightforward. Like. Toy Story is not a complex film. It has a compl- it has complex relationships and complex ideas come out of it, but it's relatively straightforward. Like Wall-E is their best film and it's like it's a trash compacting robot who's lonely. Like there's all the other stuff that kind of is sitting there in the background, but simplicity is not a, a bad thing, particularly with animation, particularly when your audience is children. You want you want to make your point really clear. And that's one of the best things. I mean, Strange World, there are so many things to love about Strange World, and the, but that is almost like the thing, the most uh, inspiring aspect of it is it just gets the fucking job done and gets out. Yeah, it, and it really, no- really fucking does. <laughs> and it knows, it knows what it is. It's not trying to be reality. It's not trying to be an epic, even though it is an epic really in the end. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a film with a tremendous amount of heart and a tremendous amount of care and um, is trying to do good in the world. So it's kind of like, what is there? What is there to complain about? I mean, for yeah. people, you know, I remember, you know, seeing it a few days beforehand and I spoke to Dave Lee from Dave Lee Down Under who was on our episode on um, Oliver and Dave Company. Dave Lee and I Down Under. Him. I messaged Dave to ask if he'd seen it yet. Um, and he said, no, he hadn't seen it. Um, he, was on his, he, was, he was away and he was going to see it as soon as he got back from, uh, from a trip. Um, and he, he was like, he said, but there's just no advertising for it. And I was like, yeah, I think there's stuff in there that I think they're worried people are going to get upset about. Because um, I remember the first thing I thought when the film was over was like, right when people are going to fucking hate this film. It has like, you know, it's about climate yeah, change. It's pro yeah, the environment. Yeah, and yeah. it has a central major <clears throat> character who is queer and a person of color. Like... And, like, you look at some of the comment, like, and it, it, the poor film has been, like, review-bombed on IMDb and probably is, the same thing happened on Rotten Tomatoes of people just taking tremendous offence to the idea. I've heard, like, the word I kept seeing in some reviews of the film was that it is grooming children. It's like, that's, you know, because as a queer character, it's grooming children because, obviously, you groom someone to be a member of the LGBT, LGBTIQ plus community. It's not a thing that, you know, it's not, it's not like a perfectly natural thing that someone is born to be or any, like, you know, it's the idea of, like, we people are being made into that. But also, like, you know, why, why you know, it's sacrificing, like, storytelling to be woke. And it's just, like, it's, 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 it's the really, the really sad thing about this film, and it's become clear because of the box office numbers being so small and the lack of reviews and the lack of publicity is just that, like, this is a film that deserves to be seen by as many people as it can because it's just such a genuinely wonderful film. Um, But I think Disney's probably just scared shitless about upsetting anybody, which is funny because they would bang the fucking drum about having a queer character in every other thing they've got for for 0.5 seconds, but when they finally actually have a queer character in one of their films, they seem too scared to point it out. Um, it's very strange and very sad because I feel like this, like they should, this should be the, their proudest moment in years. This movie, like they should be, they should be really happy to support it. And sorry, there's some big noises happening somewhere. Oh. Um, 
Sorry. Uh, they should be really happy to support it and to promote it and to, yeah, to show it off. And, and it's actually, yeah, it's really sad to hear that that might be why they're not doing that or why there's not a lot of reviews, like a fear of just having a fucking normal movie. Like, there's nothing strange about it, right? Aside from the world. Yes. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it, it, but it's, it's, it's also just that sad. It's just, it's also just that it's so much fucking fun. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. such a fun film. It moves really fast. The set action set pieces are great. It looks fantastic. The jokes, almost all of them work, which is not a thing you can say about a lot of Disney animated films. Their jokes are usually fucking terrible. But, like, it just it doesn't overstay its welcome. All the characters are really clear. Like, it's just a really good time. And the great thing about being a film critic for these kinds of films is that when I often the press screenings, there are lots of kids there. And I'm always kind of paying attention to how are the kids responding to yeah. the film. And, like, that's one of the reasons why I was so surprised that Encanto did it well as it did because it was abundantly clear from the screening that I saw at the premiere the kids were not having a great time. Um, but the lovely thing with Strange World was that they were. They were having a wonderful time. They were laughing. They were following along. They were art. They were talking back to the screen with all the right kind of questions. All the things that I'm sure would have upset a liberally minded right wing person. They didn't give a shit. They didn't give a shit that Ethan was queer. Like they just were like, oh yeah, he likes boys. Great, and let's move on. Like they like we think about this idea that children are so sensitive to these ideas, but they're just not. They accept the no. world for what it is. <laughs> they're they only the- they're only sensitive to these ideas when they are taught to be, which was my experience. Yeah. And that's what I mean from before of just like I'm so happy to be sitting in a room with children who aren't going to think anything differently about Ethan liking a dude. Because that's the way that a <laughs> it's little so good. A, because that's the way a little kid will respond to that as that as an idea. But also, it's the way a little kid will respond to the idea of the environment. It's like, oh yeah, yes. we should fix it. Yes, yeah, exactly. Why can't we fix that? Yeah, yeah. It's like no yeah. one's telling them. They don't realize it's a thing that they shouldn't that they they shouldn't want to do until someone tells them they should want to do it. Um. So yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe when it goes up on Disney Plus, it will find its audience. It'll be very interesting to see whether they actually push it on Disney Plus mm, um, mm. when they do. Um, but I mean, I, I want to kind of say to all our listeners on this Patreon to go off and watch this film. But I hope is that you've already gone and watched this film because we just ruined everything <laughs> for you with it. Yeah, please. But I'm, you, watch I'm, it if you haven't. <laughs> I'm banging the drum with everybody I know, just being like, no, nope, you should see it. It's a great time. You'll have a, you'll have a wonderful time. It's 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 a blast. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm I'm actually gonna tell people to my friends to see it too. I'm gonna say, hey, I know most of you don't watch these movies anymore, but go fucking watch Strange World. Yeah, I think anyone would love it. it honestly, yeah, Mo- Moana, which everyone that I speak to loves Moana. Um, the other one, probably the last time I felt this way was probably like Inside Out. Yeah, um, which I is, fucking yeah. loved that, and that's a similar thing of like actually dealing with. Uh, I guess human themes that we can relate to just in a really great way, yeah. and I guess this has done that too. So I kind of want to rewatch Inside Out. Inside um, Out's a masterpiece. Inside yeah, Out, yeah, it really, is a, is really a was. Um, um, so yeah, just everyone fucking watch it and watch it again. <laughs> yeah, get the streaming I numbers mean, up. All, you know I'm, what? Just put it on Disney Plus on repeat. So that the the watch numbers go up and they are forced to um, promote the movie or accept yeah. that it's a good movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm already like I'm. I expect I'm going to the movies with a friend on Tuesday night, and I'm very certain they're going to go. Let's go see Strange World and be like, great. 
I'll do it. Fantastic. I'm happy to see it. I mean, it also helps that it's like, I don't have to cover this on the podcast in four years' time, so I can watch this as much as I like. I'm not ruining it for myself. Like, I can't, I, I'm not allowed to rewatch Raya. I'm not allowed to rewatch Encanto. Yes. Um, but yes, this yes, one, yes, I can yes, rewatch yes. as much as I like because I'm not going to have to spend well, doing you know, research on it. In 25 years' <laughs> time or whatever, when we do the next season after the 60th, oh, yeah. where it's Strange World up until film. 67 or something. <laughs> well, that's going to... I mean, that that is also... I don't really... I mean, I'm sure they've announced what they're doing after this, but I don't really know what Disney's future... Oh, no, they have. It's the fucking Wishing Star What's thing. the Wishing Star? Oh, it's a film called Wish where they're like... It was that thing they announced at D23 where they were like... Oh, pardon me, where they said, you know, there's always the Wishing Star that characters wish upon, but what's the star's story? And I was like, oh, oh my God. God, are you did, kidding? Did anyone ask? Uh, no, no one. It's, it, here's the, we've got the answer to the question that no one asked. I mean, it may turn out to be fantastic. Who knows? It might be. Um, but, it will. I mean, in a way, you know, we, we think of Encanto for us as the end of, an, of, of like, a particular era in Disney animation um, because it's going to be the end of our podcast. But in a way, this does feel like a transition period where it's going for something that is feeling very dependable, the way that Encanto is to a certain extent, a dependable structure for a film into something a little bit stranger. Um, mm. And this does feel like this is the kind of film that would feel like it would fit very nicely into that post-Renaissance era of films like The Emperor's New Groove and Fantasia 2000 and Atlantis, The Lost Empire and Lilo and Stitch um, of just trying new ideas. It's the lovely thing about this film that it feels like a new idea. It doesn't feel like the same shit over and over again. It's also wonderful that it's not a musical, like, which is also one of Raya's best qualities. Um, but, yeah, it's just such a lovely film, and I really hope that it does find its audience and it doesn't get buried um, the way that Disney seems inclined to do it. So, yeah. Strange World. Great film. Four stars. Loved it. And I remember you saying actually after I saw Encanto and you said you messaged and said so how's what's our how's our ending going to be? <laughs> and I said unfortunately not great because I don't <laughs> like this film. And you said do you like what if you, I remember you are saying what if you see Strange World and you wish that you could just do one more extra episode? Um, I don't oh, feel no. like that because I think Encanto is a much better way to end it. Um, but yeah, it's lovely to actually. I'm glad we did this because it's nice to be able to talk about about it on here. So, I'm glad yeah. I got to see it. Yes, yes. Uh, before it disappears out of cinemas and goes <laughs> onto streaming in three seconds. Plus, it's also such a great big screen movie. It looks so good on the... Yeah, was, it's yeah actually, it, was it was good. The friend I saw it with, I said to him afterwards, it's the first film I've seen in years where I wish it was in 3D. Interesting. I was like, I'd love to see this. Yeah, it pro- yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot, of, especially a lot of the stuff, um, just the way the creatures fly on different kind of yeah. planes and levels. It would have it would have worked actually. Um, are you going to see Avatar in three D? Avatar two in three D? I don't know. I would like to see it in three D, but I also want to see it on the biggest screen with the loudest sound that I possibly can. And those two yes. things don't usually go together. Um, I mean, Unless I'm gonna you see- live in Melbourne with IMAX. <laughs> yes. I know people from up but- here that are flying down to Melbourne to see it at IMAX. I mean, I'm going to well, do that when I- part two of June comes out. I'm going to fly down oh, to Melbourne yeah. to see that at IMAX. Please do. No, I did check on the IMAX website the other day when they announced the sessions. 
and there was nearly 2,000 people in the queue to buy tickets to Avatar 2. But Avatar uh, the, the virtual no, queue. But Avatar has no cultural has left no cultural footprint. It has no cultural <laughs> impact. Did you not know that? It doesn't have any bearing on the world at all. Like no, one, remember, the- no one remembers Avatar. No one's it's going to flop because no one remembers Avatar. The funny at all. the funny thing is is that I I for over 10 years really was anti-Avatar. And all of a sudden, I am like so fucking excited to see Avatar two. Have you gone my, and re-wa- my- Have you rewatched Avatar yet? I, I am actually, I'm actually going to. I, I didn't think I would, but I think I'm just going to watch it at home and just re 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 experience it. Um, my my specific reason for being invested now in Avatar is more to do with the um, the visual effects. And the Ooh. and the advancements in technology. I'm kind of very like, I just love seeing state of the art things. Yes. So I'm very much like, this is going to be amazing. I have to see it. Um, but that has then made me like feel like, oh, maybe I can get into this again. So I just think it's kind of funny because yeah, I feel like a lot of people hated on it for years, but like you know what. He's going to fucking do it again. He's going to yeah. fucking top the box office and you he's just going to be fucking James fucking Cameron. Yeah, because he's James <laughs> fucking Cameron. And like I, I, because it was Avatar's, they were re-released it a few months ago where it made another fucking truckload of money. Yeah. And I, because I'd always been a pretty big defender of it, even though I remember thinking at the time like, oh, look, it's not perfect, but like there's some, there's just some wonderful things about it. But re-watching it, it's fucking incredible. Like, it's an incredible film. And I don't know whether it's that it has always been this good or whether actually in the past 13 years it's just that nothing has come close to matching it in all of the ways that you expect it to, but also some of the ways that you don't. Like, it's emotionally really impactful mm. um, in a way you don't see coming. The only thing I can think of in the past 13 years that even comes close to matching the original Avatar is Dune. Wow. In terms of the ability to... to, to to give a sense of scale and world building on that level. Mm. Um, but I will see Avatar, like, I hope I get invited to a press screening. I hope it, it's, it comes out the day before, the day before, um, the day after my mum's birthday. So I'm kind of worried that maybe the press screening will be the night of my mum's birthday, which case, obviously, I'm going to be taking, going, hanging out with my mum. But taking it Avatar. Pro- uh, well, no, because it comes out <laughs> the next day. Um, oh, right, right. But I, if I don't get to go to a press screening, I will be there that Thursday night. Ready to go, ready. Like it's. Oh, I can't wait. I can't it's kind wait, of a. I think Alex. it's. Yeah, it's kind of a perfect storm of like, this movie came out. It was so hyped. It was the biggest box office ever, and then nothing for yeah thirteen years. Like it's just this. It's a very uh, the history of it. I find quite entertaining. Um, Alongside the film itself, I guess it's just got a yeah. lot of things to talk about. And everyone being like, "It's not. It's going to flop." It's like it's not because everyone's going to go and see it. Like everyone's going to be I curious. I almost and that's the thing. I almost think had it come out two years later, maybe it would have flopped. But because yeah. of, because there's so such a long and now it's like really important. Like is the, like you know if this is really good, then like it will it will be like a remembered franchise or something. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's yeah. just, it, there's just a lot riding on it. It's like a spectacle, you know? And there haven't been that many, this year, there haven't been many genuine spectacles. I mean, I mean, there, there has been, there have been certain blockbusters that have completely, like, 
not only fulfilled their promise but exceeded them. Like Top Gun Maverick is a fucking yeah, fantastic film. I still got to watch that. Oh, it's just it's. But like the and the other surprise of the year was everything, everywhere, all at once in terms yes, of spectacle yes. and blockbuster kind of energy. So it's. It, it, it's just kind of like you just want Avatar to be fantastic because it's like we, we, we've missed, we've we haven't had there haven't hasn't been a film like this in such a long time. Well, and I and I wonder whether it's a really good time as well with I think a bit of perhaps Marvel fatigue that seems to yes. be setting in. Uh, so maybe it is a really yes. the perfect time to have Jim Jim back at the helm. When Save I, us <laughs> when I when I went to see Wakanda Forever um, at the press screening, they they gave us three D glasses. So, because they wanted, they, so we could watch the trailer for Avatar in three D. Oh wow! And I thought to myself after watching Wakanda Forever, I was like, "That is the dirtiest, the dirtiest thing to have done to this film." Where it's like, because there are a lot of similarities between Wakanda Forever and Avatar, right? And it's like, you know, there is an underwater world with people with blue skin, um, and like that's some of the best part uh, stuff in in Wakanda Forever. So I'm not going to dis. Namor and, and Namor's kingdom, like it's some of the best stuff in the film. But it's just like, yeah, but we just saw a trailer of the same thing where it's like <laughs> the most incredible visual effects you've ever seen in your fucking life. Like <laughs> you've really done this film a disservice by putting the Avatar trailer before you watch it. Um, God. Anyway, we could talk for Badron for hours about how excited we are about Avatar. But um, next month is Christmas. Christmas. It's a Christmas episode. Um, and that means this episode, though, will come out after Christmas. The episode, the Christmas episode, will come out after Christmas, right? Um, well, uh, that all depends on us. I mean, if we if we can do it before the twenty fourth or something, yeah. Uh, which I thought we would try to. Um, sure. I think we should try and get it out before Christmas. That'll be nice. So, we, well, yeah, that'll be the goal. We will. If we end up missing Christmas, then you can listen to it for New Year's. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Well, we will come up with the four options for the uh, Christmas or Christmas poll. Obviously, I've made my views very clear on one topic <laughs> and what I would like to talk about. Well, every time you make your, your views clear, they seem to go against it. So Yeah, um, but I feel like this film is so uh, well loved okay, okay. by our listeners that maybe they're going to be on my side with this one <laughs> and we'll be able to talk about the masterpiece that is The Muppet Christmas Carol, which you've still which you've never seen. No, I haven't seen it, so... I'm a bit. I'm a bit of a Muppet. I'm a, I'm a Muppet fan, but I I haven't seen. I saw like one of the. I've seen like one or two of the older films, and I saw like yeah. the two newer ones and some of the TV show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I for some reason just never saw Christmas Carol. Oh. Even though it, when I was at the cinema, it was playing like fucking nearly every day in December. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I'd love. Didn't see I'd it. Lo- actually, I'd love to see it on the big screen again. I saw it on the big screen when it came out in 1990. Two, I think, maybe three. Oh, um, we'll talk about. We'll, hopefully, we'll be able to talk about the, when it came out when we talk about the film. If we get to talk about the film, um, but yes, we'll come up with a Christmas poll. We'll try and get it done before Christmas. Um, yeah, great. Go great. see Strange World. Tell everyone you know to go see Strange World. Strange World rules. Strange World rules, and you rule, patrons. You all rule. Thank <laughs> you so much once again. Hope you enjoyed your monthly reward, which is listening to us badger on about shit. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll speak to you next month. They're the clays, they're the clays.
sea and sky and land Bound together hand in hand and bear the clades Forging brave new chapters of the legacy Facing every scrape and jam as a mighty family Farming or exploring, raise up your voice in roaring tyrannies for the claim.